Today we are here to talk to you about SDOH and I am very excited because we are talking about not just SDOH in general, but really how do you optimize your program around SDOH. We have centered our thoughts around this idea that the vital, um, the vital components of an SDOH program are the data, the platform you use to store and share that data, and also the referral out to the based organization. Uh, oh. Switch. Let's give it a try. All right. I'm going to try this microphone. That one's cutting out a little bit. Um, and also the referral out to the community-based organization so that we can really connect all of these pieces of the ecosystem for an effective STOH program. So again, data, platform, referral. That's what we are jumping off from today. Um, and I am going to pass it to my colleagues um, to introduce themselves, um, and then uh, we will go from there. Hi, thanks for having us today. My name is Diana Zuskoff. I lead the strategy team of the healthcare business at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. I'll pass it over to Art. Thanks, Diana. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Art Lopez. I lead uh, sales and business development uh, at FineHelp and excited to share more with the group today. Fantastic. And I believe that I may have forgotten to introduce myself. My name is Avery Haller. I am the Executive Director of Strategy and Partnerships at Health Gorilla. To begin, we are going to start with the bedrock of any STOH program, the data. And for that, I am going to pass it to Diana. All right, fantastic. So um, we'll tell you a little bit about the data. Um, and first, to set the context, sort of, I like to I like to explain why the individual context of data is so important. So if you're not familiar with LexisNexis, we're not the legal research engine. That's our sister company. Um, in the healthcare side, we are actually a data and analytics provider that sources about 10,000 different sources of data, but most importantly, links all of those sources down to an individual profile. And that's where there's a lot of synergies as we get into the Health Gorilla platform and our partnerships together, because it's really all about no one data set uh, is complete. It's really about getting getting the most holistic picture and getting data um, at the individual level for all Americans. And so when we look at our health equity data, we look at um, these really important kind of critical tenets of social determinants of health. Everything from how far are, do you live from a provider to do you live in a food desert? Those are clearly based on your location. But then there are also attributes of social determinants that really vary based on your household. So do you live with others in your household? Do you have the social support that you need of family or relatives nearby? And then last, but definitely not least is the individual level insights. And that's really where we believe the um, power of individual linking and individual profiles are so important because you need to understand that if someone had previous um, legal encounters or a bankruptcy or challenge, you know, recently moved to a new area, that's going to naturally feed into stress that impacts their social environment, their social drivers of health, their access to health. And those are components that you're never going to fully 
understand if you're looking at the clinical picture at a point in time only. So th those are the areas where we feel like there's um, a whole host of attributes and profiles that we can bring together with the clinical data and the really great partnerships and referral networks that are out there to understand each individual patient journey and how they connect through the healthcare ecosystem. Thank you for that, Diana. And I think um, I am up next and then I'll pass it over to Art. So, um, so we covered data. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about platform. Why is it important to bring your data into a platform like Health Gorilla? Well, really, this picture says it all. Um, when we're looking at SDOH data, we don't want to look at it in isolation in a healthcare setting. We want to look at the clinical data. Um, how might somebody's um, recent diagnoses be interacting with their um, home situation? We want to look at labs. We want to look at ADT data, admission, discharge, transfer, make sure that we understand where that patient is being cared for and what um, communities they're moving through. Um, and then, of course, combine that with the SDOH data. So at Health Gorilla, what we do is we bring all of these data sources into a single platform, which allows you to have a really holistic look at your patient. Um, we're able to, for the, for the clinical data, for example, we convert those into fire resources, so they're very easy to use. Our SDOH data we're getting from LexisNexis, and so we're able to surface risk scores around social drivers of health. And then we're really able to um, give that full picture of the patient to the care coordinators and to uh, the providers that need it. But this really all comes together when we get to the referral piece. Thanks, Avery. So we, we're the, um, as, as Avery just noted, we're the uh, referral component of this trio. Um, so what do you do when you engage with a patient that has social needs? And that's where Find Help comes into play. So Find Help is a social care referral network. Uh, we provide access to over 610,000 um, service providers. These are nonprofits, organizations that provide um, free and reduced cost services across the country. Um, about 100,000 of those service providers are what we call in-network. So these are organizations that are electronically connected, um, are, are listing their capacity, availability, are leveraging our free tools to stay connected with not only patients, but with staff that are referring these individuals. Um, we provide access to over 1,500 programs across every single county in the country. Um, and then from a Integrations perspective, um, we strongly believe integrations are a big component of staff workflow. So we've invested heavily in integrating into the, the primary systems of records like EHRs, um, care management platforms, um, CRMs, to make it easy for staff to not only identify needs, but being able to address those through their existing workflows, not adding to those workflows. Lastly, from a customer perspective, Certainly huge presence in healthcare. We work with over 220 health systems, 130 health plans, but we also serve other industries, the government space, education space, large employers, um, and many others. So how do we support um, health systems uh, specifically? We do that in two ways. So one is through self-navigation. As, as we all know here in the room, oftentimes patients um, with these types of needs are not comfortable sharing these needs with others. There, there may be stigma, uh, embarrassment, and or staff during a visit or encounter may not always have all the time to identify 
and address uh, a patient's needs. So all of our customers leverage what we call a branded white label community site, extending the existing trust and brand that they have with their population um, and creating an access point to the network so they can easily get connected to these programs. So here's a really common example, one of our health systems in Tennessee, on their public website, they've embedded a search widget that makes it really easy for their patients to enter their zip and begin to self-navigate. And then lastly, we also embed these community-facing sites in portals like Epic MyChart and other patient portals in which our customers use where they're, in terms of where their patients interact with their organization. Lastly, um, from a staff-facing perspective, we provide our customer staff with a staff experience, and that could be integrated through a platform experience in their EHR, or that could be a fully native um, experience. I'll quickly walk us through a really common example. So staff are typically um, assessing in their EHR, in the primary system of record, um, within the patient chart. Once they complete that assessment, they can click a link that launches their unique instance of fine help with a list of recommended programs related to those needs that were identified in that assessment, making it really easy for them to assess and then have a list of recommended programs. They're automatically signed in. It's automatically launched within patient context so they can easily identify a program and make a referral to that community-based organization related to that patient's needs. Once that referral is made, that referral is automatically logged under that patient's social care record so that that organization, that staff member can keep track of that referral history. Um, the, the patient receives a um, notification that they've been referred to that program so they can easily access that program as well. And then lastly, that nonprofit um, on the other side is receiving that referral electronically um, through what we call an intake dashboard where they receive all the referrals from any user of Find Help. They can see who was referred, some of their basic contact info, uh, contact preferences. They can um, see who referred them, what staff from which organization, um, and then they can begin to reach out and provide a support and services. And as they do so, they can document the outcomes of those services. And once they do so, that's automatically shared back with that, that customer staff member closing the loop on that specific referral. Thank you for that, Art. So we are now going to, oh, that's not what I wanted. I actually want to go back to this first slide here, data platform referral. And I've got some questions for everybody up here, maybe even including myself, um, that we're going to dive into now. So let me pull up my question list. Um, the first question that I want to ask, and this is, this is really for all of us, is why is incorporating SDOH into healthcare organizations such a complex problem? Either of you want to start? Sure, I'll start. I mean, I think part of it is because this is really the convergence of what's historically been two different industries um, or two different sectors. So if you think about healthcare, you know, it's been very focused on obviously the clinical en encounter. And as much as, you know, we've introduced concepts like Z codes and referral platforms, fundamentally um, it's not historically been something that providers have been trained um, or have the capacity or have the systems to do, which is where I think, you know, platforms and referral systems that integrate into their 
um, workflow are so critical, but that's it's not enough to just integrate it at the provider stage. We have to also be thinking about you know the legal frameworks for these integrations, how you bring together reimbursement models, things like that. And so I think as those evolve, that will you know hopefully make it easier. But I think the short answer to it is um, you're just trying to collide kind of two different worlds. Similarly to how you know this conference collides technology and healthcare, I think you could say a lot of the same for SDOH connecting. Um, um, social needs and social care networks with uh, clinical care. Yeah, and then what, what I would add, I think on the customer side, I think there's two key components that are critical to adoption, and that's you know training and integration. So if you don't integrate into their existing workflows, any type of staff will really have a hard time adapting any any platform to make those referrals. So I think those are really important. Um, and then I think on the community level, I think one of the complex you know, challenges that I think organizations face is, is uh, capacity building with nonprofits. Many organizations are starting to make a lot of you know, social care referrals to these nonprofits. Um, so a lot of these nonprofits are overwhelmed by referrals. So how do we manage that capacity? How do we support these community-based organizations, potentially you know, capital investments, potentially fee-for-service arrangements with these CBO providers? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that brings us back to how do we how do we capture the good that's being done, create the reimbursement model, which comes back to data. And I think one of the challenges that I see is just that the, the sheer amount of data available for SDOH and the sheer amount of types of data that can be considered SDOH can often be overwhelming, which is why it's very important to have a data partner who's already done the organization, the platform partner who can really integrate it for you, and then the referral partner who can really direct how to use that data. So for me, it's it's it, this is why this is a multi-step process. It's just the sheer amount of data that we're talking about and the different types can be very overwhelming for organizations. And I love this idea of kind of colliding two industries and, you know, figuring out how we make a more seamless um, community workflow. All right, my next question, Diana. Uh, in designing LexisNexis's SUH dataset, what considerations were most important? How can we get at the most relevant drivers for a person's health? That's a, a big question. And a really good one. So there's a, there's a couple key things that I think about when thinking about what data do you need for an SDOH program. And I start this conversation by saying something that I think actually Avery said one of the first times we met, started working together, which is there is no one data set that's going to provide you everything you need. And I firmly believe that with SDOH data, uh, with clinical data, right? You need to look at the two together in concert. Um, there's a couple of things that I think are really critical that we took um, as you know really purpose-built design when we thought about our SDOH data set. One is um, who do you have data on? So Avery brought up a critical point that you know sometimes we get overwhelmed with the amount of data. Um, but one of the things that I think about because my background's in public health is disparities and gaps. So you can have very 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 deep and rich data on people who regularly interact with a provider um, and are relatively 
relatively stable and have their social needs met and next to nothing as it comes to data for people who have never engaged with a payer. They've never come into the you know primary care office. They're homeless and they've moved around fairly often. So one of the things that really um, we set out to do is create a data set that provides individual level drivers on everyone in the population. So we actually do have data on 283 million Americans and that's a huge number. But when you think about it, that also allows you to see the baseline of where your population is, whether that's from a geography or a payer or a provider system, and really pinpoint what are those barriers to care that are preventing an individual we don't have data on from the clinical setting Maybe they have a transportation uh, situation. Maybe they don't have someone in their household to assist them with medication adherence. Without having the data on that, um, you wouldn't know that, right? And relying on kind of a point of care survey or an EHR assessment is great, but we also kind of have to think about that that inverse, right? What happens when you don't have those things? So that was a, a key um, distinction we made. The other one I'll touch on briefly because I always get asked this um, is is also legal context and framework. So I mentioned we have data on 280 something million Americans. How do we have that? You know, what does that mean? What are the legal components of that? So when we were designing our SDOH data set we really thought about what are the appropriate uses of this data for health equity needs? How, are, how do we um, ensure that we have ethical standards around that, that we um, go through a very detailed process of understanding how our customers are storing and using this data, how it's applied at the provider and at the patient level, and really a data governance model to manage that because there is a lot of sensitivity around this data and um, we need to make sure that we're um, very thoughtful stewards of it. Fantastic, thank you. Art, when you connect health and community organizations, how do you work with each side to make sure the referral program is successful? Yeah, great, great question. I think from our perspective, um, community engagement is a big part of this work. So um, what we try to be is as inclusive as possible with the network meeting. We don't only provide access to nonprofits that can receive referrals. We certainly um, still engage those organizations, they list their information, and they certainly provide a lot of support and services in the community, and our customers have the ability to document those outcomes as they're working with their patients and they learn if they receive those services. Um, on the other end, there are many nonprofits that are very much interested in engaging with health systems, developing a unique workflow and documenting those outcomes. So we support those relationships through community engagement. So we partner with our customers, staff, typically a community liaison that works with our community engagement team to identify nonprofit partners that they already have relationships with. We extend existing ones and then we build new ones so just through direct outreach and trust building. And through those um, relationships, we build what we call trusted networks, typically 20 to 40 nonprofits within a trusted network that are uh, responding to referrals um, documenting um, uh, you know, services rendered and providing um, health systems with that data related to those closed-loop referral workflows. Thank you for that. All right, Diana, I have another question for you. With all this SDOH data, how do we prevent information overload for care coordinators and clinicians? And, and really what I'm trying to get at here is why the risk score model? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so uh, I think a number of people have mentioned the, the critical piece of workflow and workflow integration. And so having mountains of data isn't meaningful 
if it doesn't tell you what to do with it. And that's where I love the partnership with Find Help um, because ultimately that last mile, how you present what you're doing based on that data is what makes the data valuable. And so, you know, for us, we've structured um, risk scores that, um, you know, predict specific risks, whether that's cost or engagement. Um, but most importantly, we've, we've also gotten that uh, a level deeper, not only to say someone is high risk, but to identify the drivers that ma they make up the, that risk and are actionable enough to connect to a platform and a referral network. So I may have um, high uh, cost of care risk because I move around frequently. And so as a result, I go on and off of different payers and I go on and off of different um, health systems and so you know that that incurs a higher cost but really what's driving that is my my address instability and so a provider knowing that and being able to kind of plan for that and being able to ask me some targeted questions about that um, and recommend some programs about how to utilize telehealth in between visits so that I can have that more continuous experience um, is a is is making that data more actionable and that's perhaps maybe not the best example but there's certainly those um, other you know ways to connect into gaps in care, whether that's access to a specific community resource, um, access to social service programs, et cetera. Thank you. Art, I have one more question for you, and then I have a question for the, for the larger group. Um, so how far have we come in the past decade in understanding the community-based organization impact on health, and how far do we still have to go? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, it's a loaded question as well, but um, high level, I think we're still in the early phases, the early innings of, of really, um, you know, understanding the impact. Um, I think customers that we've seen um, really start studying that data and starting to see some early signs of success have invested in integrating these workflows across all settings, inpatient, outpatient, discharge planning, ER, home health, you name it, starting with screening, starting with implementing a referral platform that can address those needs. Um, in parallel, investing in those community partnerships to um, partner with nonprofits and, and really document those outcomes, often developing, as we talked about earlier, those um, incentivized networks or, or fee-for-service arrangements, arrangements to um, really provide the support and services that their patients need. Um, but, you know, I think our customers and have seen early signs of success with you know preventing ER visits, readmission reductions, but we're still in the early phases. They're certainly mashing that up, you know, that social care referral outcomes with clinical data, claims data, and so forth. But again, still in the early early innings, I would like to say. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right, this question is for all of us, including myself, including the audience. Um, how do we turn health equity from a buzzword into reality? Anyone want to start? I will start. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is really important, you know, as, as health equity has become this buzzword that, you know, the industry talks about, um, is to think about the actual stepping stones that it takes to get there and not lose sight of individual patients that we're trying to look at. So, so we often talk at the population health level. I love population health. I also have a background in public health. But we need to look at these individual stories of how we actually achieve equal opportunity um, and health equity for folks. 
So for me, um, a lot of this looks like making sure that as we set up these programs, we have really strong evaluation methods to make sure that we're actually tracking the success of the equity that we're bringing. I do love that, you know, digital solutions themselves um, often bring some inherent quality of health equity because the data exchange itself um, is able to actually allow the data to follow the patient and for patients to get the best care. That being said, equity doesn't happen by accident. It only happens intentionally. Um, so that's really my, this is my soapbox, is that we need to, we can't lose track of the individual patients and we need to build um, intentionality around health equity. And I can go next. I think from the you know, social care referral platform perspective, I think one way we think about that is it's all about access, right? When you think about you know equitable access, so I think making sure that patients in the community, in the healthcare setting, um, have access to all of the available programs related to any of their types of needs, and as we talked about earlier, doing it in a way that um, gives them dignity um, and ease. Meaning, if they want to self-navigate, they're not comfortable sharing that with someone else. Give them the opportunity in any access point whether it's through a portal, whether it's through a website, to do that, um, maybe they're a caregiver. And then certainly when they're working with staff, giving staff the tools to give those patients, you know, access to the program that, the programs that those patients may need as well. Well, you both took what I was going to say, which is I was going to say evaluation and access. Um, so I'll add a third, um, which is kind of the intersection between the two, which is I would say um, continuous monitoring, right? So a lot of times I think there's, um, we've done a good job of creating programs, right? Every payer and every health system has an equity strategy. We've got service vendors that everyone's contracted with. What I think is critical, and I think you touched on this with the access component, is there's access and then there's also adoption. And ultimately, monitoring that adoption is so critical to understand the equity component because I, I don't think you can achieve health equity with a build it and they will come um, approach. And, and I do think that that's still an area that we are, we have room to grow, I would say, because um, a lot of these pro programs are on the newer side. And so it's no small feat to stand them up. Um, but it's also continuing to review them and really look at who's using them and disaggregating those outcomes, looking at components of gender and income and race. And what does that really mean for the adoption as well? Yes, and I just want to echo one more time dignity of the patient, dignity of the person being at the center of, of everything that we do. Um, okay, given time, I have one more question for all of us. What is the first step that you suggest our audience take towards optimizing their SDOH program that, that may already be in place or starting a new SDOH program altogether? So I'll start with this one, and I'm going to echo uh, what I was just talking about. I would say evaluate where you are. So if you already have an existing program, take a look at who's using that program and who is not using that program. And what could you do to drive, you know, what data do you need or what insights can you understand about folks' barriers that could help drive engagement with that program? If you're starting a new program, how do you prioritize patience and engagement and outreach efforts to get that adoption of that program? So I think those are the two that I would focus on and certainly utilizing data as a huge component of those. 
Yeah, and I would, I, I totally agree, Diana. I, I, would, I would agree with the evaluation piece. I think the way that we think about social care is that it's important to really uh, meet each setting where they're at, right? Some, some settings, um, discharge planning, uh, ER, obviously social workers have a lot of experience for decades identifying and addressing needs. Let's make that more efficient for them. Um, and let's start there. Other settings have very little experience, barely even screening for needs. So let's really meet them where they're at. Um, I, again, as I talked about earlier, I do think integration is a big part of that. The easier you make it, the more adoption you're going to get. And then what we've seen uh, be extremely successful is start with you know um, a small part of your organization and let's start with a part of the organization that's already leveraging these workflows. They can be champions of this work. They can really help other, other teams, other settings. Um, they can kind of create that pathway for those organizations to help create adoption across the entire uh, enterprise. And then lastly, um, I keep honing in on this, but community partnerships is really important. It takes time, takes a lot of trust building. Doing that in parallel, we, we believe is paramount as well. Fantastic. And, and one thing that I will just add is um, there has been obviously a lot of great work done in this, even even though, as Art said, we're still in the beginning of this, there has been a lot of great work done. There are um, a ton of great case studies from health systems all the way to down to smaller clinics that can be used as inspiration for how to get started um, and, and kind of how to get started in the smaller way before you go to the, the larger scale um, integration piece. But really, I mean, I think for me, I, I still echo what we sort of started with, which is that you have to figure out, you know, figure out what your goals are, figure out what data you have, figure out how you can embed that into your existing platforms or what new platforms you might um, need to discover, and then make sure that you have these connections out to community-based organizations, as Art said. So with that, I would like to thank our panelists.